0: Shall we begin? Let's begin now.
1: All right, everybody. Welcome back to a brand new episode of the Frankly Francisco podcast. I'm very excited to have this gentleman on my show. He is a well-accomplished man. I, I mean, the experience that he has alone... Uh, is mind-blowing. Um, I'd like to introduce everybody uh, to Dr. Leica. How, how are we doing today, Doc? You know, I'm doing fantastic,
0: Frankie. I'm, I'm just totally fantastic.
1: So I was reading up on you. Uh, not only are you, you have 30 plus years of experience in cosmetic dermatology, but you are, uh, I mean, you created some organizations along the way as well. Uh yeah. Where did this passion come from for you to be able to use your hands the
0: way you you, you do? You know, I think it, it's innate. Part of it is you love to create. So you create things in the sphere that you're in. And I, and I just love to create things. So uh, not only did I create my practice, I was an innovator. I was one of the first in many of the things I did. But I also created organizations that, that will live on long after I have passed from this earth.
1: So at what point in your life did you decide, "Hey, I'm going to go into to cosma uh into uh cosmetic uh dermatology and uh, this is the path that I want to walk down?" Uh you know, most kids don't realize they want to be, you know, they say they want to be a doctor, but then when they get into medical school, they go, eh, "This might not be for me." So what pushed you through that to keep going to to go into the profession that you did?
0: You know, when I started uh, I I first wanted to go into medicine and that was a jump so I got into medicine and then when I was in medicine the first thing that I loved was dermatology so I started down the path of dermatology now back in the late 1980s was you know way back in then I cosmetic dermatology was just starting I, I mean Botox was just invented Uh, these fillers were just invented these things. Lasers were being used for the first time in cosmetic dermatology and I found it fascinating. I found the whole field amazing. So I wanted to be in it. I wanted to be part of the excitement that was going on. This was all new brand new stuff. So I I wanted to be part of, of this whole new trend that was going on.
1: Well, It worked out for you tremendously. I mean, you have 30 plus years in the industry, um, but you had an interesting story along the way, because at one point you were misdiagnosed with Lou Gehrig's disease, correct? Yeah,
0: yeah. You know, uh, that story is something that's long, but I'll give you the short version of it. I was walking with my wife in Disneyland, the happiest place on earth, when my wife looked at me and said, what's wrong with you? I said, what do you mean what's wrong with me? There's nothing wrong with me. You know, I was taken aback, Frankie. For once in my life, I hadn't done anything wrong. I hadn't said anything wrong. I hadn't even thunk anything wrong. But she persisted. What's wrong with you? Well, my right foot had suddenly and mysteriously developed a right foot drop. It wasn't walking properly. You know, Your brain is designed to lift up your foot when it's walking. Mine wasn't doing that. It was flapping on each on the pavement with each step I was taking. My wife said, "Did you have a stroke?" I I said, "Dear, you're a doctor. I'm a doctor. If I had a stroke, I wouldn't be walking like this. I'd probably be lying on the pavement saying something unintelligible." Well, she said, "When you get back, you better get this checked out." Well, Frankie, when your significant other says, "Get this checked out," what do you do? You get it checked (laughs) out. (laughs) You get it checked. So I saw hundreds of doctors and. You know, they did CAT scans, they did brain scans, they even did scan scans. And you know what they found at the end of the day? No. Absolutely nothing. You know, and when a doctor finds nothing, he does more tests and more tests and more tests. I think they even invented some tests back then just to do tests. But, you know, at the end of it, several of them got together and they said, we're going to send you to a neurologist. A neurologist is a brain guy. He's the guy that has the answers to all these complex, things. So they sent me to this guy and I walked in and I said, hi. And he said, hi back. You better be sitting down when I tell you this. I said, why? I've got a dropped right foot. He said, no, you don't. You've got Lou Gehrig's disease, ALS. You're going to be dead in six months. You better get your affairs in order. I I was taken aback. I, I said, really? I said, is there a way to prove this diagnosis? He said, of course, on autopsy.
1: Jeez, man, what bedside manner he had.
0: Yeah, that terrible bedside manner. And I said, you know, I'm not going to die to prove you wrong. And I went out and I slammed the door. But when you go through a phase like this, Frankie, you go through the phases of death and dying that Elizabeth Kubler Ross wrote in her book on death and dying. You go through anger. You're angry at anything. You can bite the head off nails. You're really, really angry at things. You you go through bargaining. Oh, God, please don't let this happen. I'll do anything if you don't let this happen. You go through denial. You deny that anything's happening. But I couldn't deny it. My right foot wasn't working properly. And then my right hand started not to work properly. It couldn't grasp the surgical instruments like it used to. But I was smart, Frankie. I was able to do everything left handed. You know. Back then that was a challenge because they hadn't invented all the surgical instruments for left-handed doctors. They were all right-handed. So I was able to become a left-handed doctor and was able to do that. So the the important thing is after all that, I, I went to my wife and I said, Dear, what do I what do I have? She said, I have no idea, but you're smart, you'll figure it out. I said, Well, how can I? I've seen almost every doctor on the planet. She said, You just haven't found the right doctor yet. So back then, in the early 2000s, Frankie, something new was invented. You might have heard about it. It's called the internet. You ever hear of that? <laughs> oh, yeah. It was so primitive back then. You had to get on with dialogue connections. You know, your phone would attach to a cradle and it would attach to another phone and it would go Ria, 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 for like 15 minutes before it connected. And when it connected, you had to speak to the other computer in a language like DOS because it was so primitive there was no language there was no energy in these computers you couldn't figure things out but i had friends that were nerds so they helped me get through this you know the, the internet back then is just like the internet now it's got the world's best resources but it's full of garbage cans and you can't tell the garbage cans from the great resources But I navigated it. I found a doctor in Colorado Springs, Colorado, that had a story very similar to mine. But he got worse much more rapidly. And he was on his deathbed within weeks of his diagnosis. Now, he was so well-known. Doctors from around the world were coming to say goodbye to him. And this doctor, a, a doctor came up from Texas and looked at him and said, you know, David, I I think you don't have ALS. David said, what do I have? The doctor from Texas says, I think you have chronic Lyme's disease. I think you've been bitten by a tick. And it's causing a disease that's mimicking ALS. And he said, if I'm right, I can start you on treatment and you will get immediately better. Well, that's when a miracle happened. Within two weeks of starting treatment, David was like Lazarus arising from the dead. Wow. So- So I knew I had to get in touch with him. So I phoned every hospital in Colorado Springs, Colorado. And I met up with David at the Methodist Hospital in Colorado Springs. And we talked for hours and he invited me down to come and see him. And I went down there and it was a flight from hell. Uh, The flight from Edmonton to to Denver was great, but Denver to Colorado Springs was like a rinky-dink puddle jumper. You ever been on a rinky-dink bubble jumper? No, uh, you couldn't pay me to get on one of those things. Those things are scary as it can be. Well, this is scary. And it was like, you know, it would climb 100 feet and drop 100 feet. It would climb another 100 feet, drop 200 feet. It was like the drop of doom at Disneyland over and over and over again. After the 15-minute flight, I crawled off the plane, and there was David on the tarmac to meet me. You know, he, he said, we need to talk. And we talked and a miracle repeated itself. He said, Dr. Laika, I think history is repeating itself. And if I start you on treatment, you'll get better. And that's why I was able to go through all this. And for 20 years, 30 years, be the top of the cosmetic field that I was in, living the life that I did until I walked away in 2019 to do other things and help people in other ways like I do. Uh, you know, in 2020, I wrote a best-selling book called "The Secrets to Living a Fantastic Life," and it's about all the journey I went through and the 13 golden pearls I found that will help anybody with their life.
1: So, what I find fantastic and interesting is because I'm I'm a lefty, so I'm gonna you know I'm gonna root for lefties. Is the fact that you taught yourself how to use your left hand for your profession, which yeah. is crazy to me. You, I mean. If you've been born righty, it's almost impossible. Unless you're, you know, ambidextrous, you can use both hands, which obviously you were not. You had to train yourself. What was that like? How intense was that? I mean, well, it was
0: intense because, you know, back then there weren't even the scissors to cut the sutures we'd use. There weren't even the instruments for left-handed doctors. So mean, I had to invent them, go down to to a mechanic and say, look, I want to invent this, the mirror image of this tool. I want this tool in the exact opposite way. (laughs) So yes. And yes, I had to become left handed You know, you know, there's a whole thing about 10,000 repetitions. If you repeat something 10,000 times, you become an expert on it. Well, that's what I had to do, do things over and over and over again until I became an expert on
1: it. So do you use both hands still now, or you just stick with the left hand for everything? My
0: left hand is my dominant hand. My right hand still is a gift hand. It doesn't work like it used to. Uh, okay. So, but for you, you stepped down in
1: 2019. You stepped away. Uh, you are a, you are a tech talker too, which I find, how was that? I mean, I, I know people, a lot of people that I've talked to have done Ted talks. Um, one day I hope to do a Ted talk myself. If you know, having accomplished something, hopefully in this life, that's worth doing on Ted talk. What is that experience
0: like to do a TED Talk? You know, being on the red circle is one of the most scary things in the world. You've got 12 minutes to tell about some topic and and tell the world about it. And you've got thousands of eyes peering at you. And you have to do it in such a way that that crowd is enamored. They love it. And and, and at the end of the day, you, you know, you have the certification as being a TED Talk speaker, which is, you know, again, another thing that I was able to do and and be able to climb that mountain, Uh, you know, and I'm thrilled that I did. Well, I mean,
1: to me, that's that's like a badge of honor doing a TED Talk because that means you've reached a certain peak and they wanted you to express that out to the world. I mean, thousands and millions of people watch TED Talk. I watch TED Talk, you know what I mean? So it's something that it's an accomplishment that you can put under your hat of the other many accomplishments that you have already. I've also read that you also have you you, you have your own podcast. Tell me a yeah. little bit about that. What got well, you into doing that? You know,
0: what I started with was my book, The Secrets to Living a Fantastic Life. So, you know, back in the early two, 2020, the pandemic had hit. So I couldn't get speaking engagements. So I said, what can I do? So I started a podcast called How to Live a Fantastic Life. And then that podcast got so popular It became a syndicated radio show. So it occurs, uh, 3 million listeners listen to it every month now. You know, that's how many people are just uh, attracted to it. So it's on a network called AMFM 24-7. And it just keeps growing and growing and growing. And what keeps growing it is the amazing guests I have. The guests I have are just beyond belief. And I ask everyone, every one of my guests, how do you live a fantastic life? And so it's got a very unique framework because everybody wants to know how to live a fantastic life.
1: So do you record those weekly, monthly? Uh, I mean, when it plays on on the syndicated, it's, it's, uh, they just take all the episodes you have and replay them. How does no, that work for you? No, we have 12 shows,
0: 12 new shows a week. Wow. Okay. So we are literally rocking it. So how many do I record? Well, as many as I want to every week. So it, it's, it's exciting.
1: It's like uh it's like essentially like Joe Rogan got a new show out every day. Uh, so do, do the episodes don't, how long do your episodes typically last though? About 30 minutes. You know, you gotta be
0: cognizant that our listening audience only has about 30 minutes to listen to them. So my show plays on the drive time to work and on the the time when people come home from work. So it's a very, it's a show that people listen to at that time.
1: That's awesome. Hey, I'm happy for you. I mean, you've earned everything that you're getting right now. You put the time and the effort in to be where you are. So tell me a little bit more about this book. Tell me about the pearls of wisdoms that, uh, that you have uh, thought of and found the way to spread to the world out here. Well, there's 13
0: golden pearls, and I'll, I'll read them to you. Uh, but the most important thing you got to realize, it's not what happens to you that matters. It's what you do with what happens, Frankie. That is the most important thing that a person could ever do in their life. And they need to take 100% responsibility for everything in their life and everything they do. That, that is the gist of of living a fantastic life. If you do that, your fantastic life is almost guaranteed. So golden pearl number one is love. Now, who in this world can do anything without love, Frankie? You need love and you need to give love. That's one of the most significant things that can ever go forward. Inspiration is golden pearl number two. What does inspiration mean? Well, it means in the spirit, the breath of life. If you don't have inspiration, you can't go for it. Pearl number three is victory, and that is the opposite of being a victim. Stop the victim mentality, get out of it, and seize victory ahead. Pearl number four is vulnerability. Now, none of us like being vulnerable, Frankie, but guess what? That's the secret to make everything happen. If you allow yourself to be vulnerable, you can be a person in love, you can be a person that overcomes any obstacle but you have to allow yourself to be vulnerable. Golden pearl number five is purpose or intention. If you don't have a purpose in life, you need to find your purpose because purpose is one of the most important things. And in my book, I use a a framework called Ikigai, which is the Japanese word for purpose. And I encourage everybody to look that up either on the internet or get a copy of my book because it really can make your day so that you can understand what your purpose is. Uh, Non-negotiables is pearl number six. You need a list of non-negotiables, things that you won't ever negotiate on in your life. You got to make that happen. Pearl number seven, Frankie, is forgiveness. You got to forgive others, and you got to forgive yourself for all the things that you've done wrong. If You don't do that, you won't go for it. Pearl number eight is attitude, a positive attitude develop one, cultivate one, it'll carry you far. Pearl number four and nine is thankfulness and gratitude. Have an attitude of gratitude that carries you farther. That's huge. Pearl 10 is tenacity. Tenacity is grit. If you have tenacity and grit, that will pull you farther. Pearl number 11 is something that everybody has to do every day is laugh. You know, Frankie, I think all of us don't laugh enough. In this day and age, there's just too much shit happening and you gotta laugh. Pearl number 12, enthusiasm. And if we have time, I'd love to share a two-minute story about enthusiasm. Pearl number 13 is empowerment, which is something we should all do, become empowered in things. And I throw in a bonus pearl of how to overcome fear as well. Because fear is something that keeps us tombstoned and doesn't allow us to move forward.
1: Well, I can relate very well to the to a lot of those points that you have. Um, I got over my fear. I used to do security for a living and decided to change my career in my 30s and got into finance. So that's what I do for a living now. Um, and I had to get over that fact, like you know, is this right for me? I, I'm good at what I do. Is this good, the right move? But I got over that fear. And I'm very good at what I do now. Um, but it was just getting over that scare of taking that next step in my life, even though I was in my my late 30s, of reaching, achieving a goal that nobody thought I would do. Like nobody makes a transition from doing private security to becoming uh, <laughs> becoming, you know, a, a business banker. So it's, it's, it was an amazing transition and I'm proud of myself for that, but that, yes, it was overcoming the fear that I had of doing that. So yes, I, there's a lot of those uh, those those pearls that I can relate to very heavily.
0: Yeah, for sure. And you know fear is something that is very hard. you know to overcome fear, you have to really push yourself. You really have to get yourself out of your comfort zone and that's something that everybody has to do if they really want to move forward.
1: So how long did it take you to write this book? You know, did you pick specific moments in your life to put into this book that helped shape what you were trying to uh, give to the public?
0: You know, it was it was a great book to write, and it was one that was written with a great friend by the name of Harriet Tinka. Harriet Tinka is a lady that had a story very similar to mine, but very different. She was a lady that uh, was a model, walking the cat ropes of New York and Milan, and all the wonderful places. She grew tired of being a model and she wanted to go and take up her second love, which was accounting. So what happened is she went to the University of Calgary in Calgary, Alberta, Canada, and she was taking classes there. And she was befriended by a psychopath, a very evil mean man that ended up kidnapping her, stabbing her and leaving her for dead. Now, Harriet at I met because I was sponsoring an award called uh, Women of Distinction. And Harriet had decided to give back to society. So she was applying for this award called Turning Point Award so that she could meet me so that she could suggest we write a book together. So we would meet for coffee, we would meet for lunch, and we'd pen the book together. So this book is rather unique. It first starts with a quote, and then there is a little story that carries everybody into the the golden pearl. And then there's the dialogue that Harriet and I had while we were writing the chapter. So this is how we we put it together. And, And I had to tell your listeners that because this was a collaborative effort, which really made it a very unique book that there's very few of them like this out there in the world. I, that's a beautiful thing. I mean, it,
1: that she can take all that, all that pain and suffering that she went into and turn it into something that can inspire other people, you know, the way that it's inspiring, uh, inspiring people. You are just, you have so much going on right now. It's, I mean, you have the book, you have, your public speaker, but you're also a coach. Tell me a little bit about that. Tell me about the coaching aspect of what you do.
0: You know, I, I think everybody needs a coach in life, Frankie. You know, if you want to get from point A to point B, you really need to step out of your comfort zone and get pushed a little bit. You know, I don't know if you played professional sports, like football or soccer or hockey or, or any of those things like basketball. But if you really want to get to the next level, you need a coach to push you that way. Otherwise, you don't get anywhere that way. And it's true in life. You need a coach. And that's what I do. I specialize in helping people get out of their comfort zone and move forward. I specialize in people finding the problems in their life and moving forward so that they can get to a higher level and and resonate at the highest level they want to be so that they can live their best life. And I think that's what's important. So these sessions,
1: they, I mean, some of those sessions, are your sessions in person? Are they online uh, through? We, Zoom? we usually
0: do everything online these days. And we do two sessions one are individual sessions, and the second one is group sessions. Group sessions are min, limited to groups of 10. So I know things have been tough in, uh, in
1: Canada with the, I know there's certain sections that are still, uh, some of them are still in lockdown. There's still travel that's not being allowed to go out. So when some of these restrictions are lifted, do you plan on traveling and talking again um, at events?
0: Well, I'd love to, you know, they're just opening up now. So if anybody wants a professional speaker, they should check me out, because I really can do a good job for them. You know, it's interesting, things are opening up, but they're opening up slowly. And, and I can understand why, you know, COVID is still going around, Frankie. And There's, you know, you read reports like in Los Angeles that there's more COVID now than during the height of the pandemic. So you got to be careful about it. But the nice thing about the COVID that's going around now is it's pretty mild. It's Mm -hmm. not like the type that was going around at the beginning of the pandemic. It's much, much more benign. It's like catching a cold now than anything else. So, So Canada has gotten its restrictions taken down. The interesting thing is traveling to the United States, you needed a negative COVID test to get in yet. So hopefully your government will see the light of day soon and decide to do some of the stuff to make travel a little easier for people. Oh, you'd be amazed. Now that the world's opening up, everybody's
1: traveling. Everybody's buying foreign care. Everybody's traveling right now. People are going, especially Europe. People are traveling to Spain, Italy. Like it's it's amazing. You know, the minute the restrictions are lifted, it's like it never happened, which is which is crazy to me because I I, I got sick from COVID twice. So the first time I thought I was going to die, literally thought I was going to die. It was that bad. Uh, They thought I had meningitis in my brain. Um, I couldn't move my neck. So they wanted to stick a needle in my spine about this big uh, to see if I had meningitis. But it turned out to be a COVID tension headache. Uh, And they gave me a COVID cocktail to and and within a minute or two. The, you know, my, my head was feeling better in my neck. I could move my neck again. The se- the second time I got sick was a year later. So the second time I got sick, it wasn't as bad. It was like the flu. Like you said, it was the flu. I got sick in January this year. So I've gotten it twice. A uh, second time around was a lot easier, but I work in a public setting. You know what I mean? I'm gonna, regardless whether I want to get it or not, I'm, you know, I have my chance of getting it higher than anybody else. I'm an essential worker. So, you know, <laughs> in, the, the, in the finance industry, it doesn't close.
0: So, and, and, you know, Frankie, I, I'm going to, you know, when I travel, I wear a mask and, you know, I am, I'll probably be one of the last people that stops wearing a mask because, you know, I've got risk factors. I have probably, you know, I don't want to catch it again. I've had it twice, too. And, you know, I'm triple vaccinated, but it didn't stop me from getting it just after Easter this year. But it was much milder than anything else. As I said, I just had a cold.
1: Yeah and and I think that's the tough part especially for people who like like yourself who like to coach who like to teach who like to speak it, when you're hindered doing that you have to find an alternatives it's not the same when you're like I would love to have conversations I would like I would love to sit in a room and have a conversation with face to face because that's just I'm a front facing type of person I love sitting and having conversations that's just not the reality of things right now and for people like you and I who love to speak to people the restrictions can keep us from you know really enjoying what we do, which is going out and seeing people and having those type of conversations. But I understand why they're doing it. But I know you're looking forward to the day when you're able to do that
0: again, because you you enjoy it. You enjoy being out there. For sure. You know, that's, that's one of the great things of doing things, getting the feedback from the crowd, getting the crowd riled up, getting the crowd knowing what's going on. It's not quite the same being online, you know, and it never can be because you're talking to a room of people and you don't even know if they're listening.
1: Yes, because Zoom, you can't tell if somebody on Zoom is actually paying attention to the conversation. That's you right. Know what I mean, there's been many a times where, you know, you can be on a on a call with 30 people and half of them don't have their cameras on. They're probably off doing off something else instead of listening to what you're saying. But it happens. It happens. But when we have conversations like this, I can, I enjoy this, though, because I learn from you. Uh, you know, you have a, a plethora of experience. You've been around longer than I have. And I like to pick the brains of successful people. Because I believe you can always learn. I learn something new every day. That's that's one of the edicts that I have. I have to learn something new. I don't care if it's something small. Because I believe if you do that, it'll keep you motivated to keep going, to to learn more, to you know brighten your horizons and and keep your brain functioning and working the way it should. So when I have conversations with someone like you who's had who's been in the industry, cosmetic industry for thirty plus years, you've started organizations. You know now you're a, a syndicated radio host essentially you know, a podcast, you're a, an author, a TED talk speaker is it's the information is there. And, and if anybody, you know, really wants to learn something from you, you're willing to teach. And that's the, the best part about it.
0: Yeah. And and that's something I love to do is teach people and help them along the way. That That's something that I that gives me the greatest joy in everything that I do in this day and age. my my reason for being is to help others get to a higher level and help them get up to uh, a level that they haven't been at ever before. If I can just get them to that level, uh, you know, it really helps. My life purpose is to empower people to live their best lives in the context of enthusiasm, laughter, love, thankfulness, and happiness. That's my reason for being in this day and age. So let me know about that story. You said it
1: was one of the pearls that you had a a story about. Let me know about that story before we jump off. Sure.
0: There was a carpenter and his name was Fred and Fred was tired. He had worked for the same company all his life. So after 45 years, he was quitting. He went to his boss and said, boss, I'm done. I can't do this anymore. The boss said, Fred. You can't do this to me. You've helped me build every house in, that we've ever built. Uh, could you do, just do one more thing for me, Fred? Fred said, of course. I've loved this company. It's been something that I've helped on." The boss said, okay, build me just one more house. Only you can do it. You're my master carpenter, and only you have the skills to do it. So Fred said, okay, but his heart wasn't into it. Every day he'd drag his ass to work and just barely get the job done. But you know, at the end of it, a miracle happened and the house passed inspection. So he went back to his boss and said, okay, I'm done. Here's the keys to that house. The boss said, just wait, we're going to have a big party. So they popped the champagne. They had the caviar. They had everybody in the office come together and have a great uh, time. And then the boss said, okay, everybody, I have a little speech to have. He said, you know, this is Fred's last day. I'm going to be very sad because he's leaving us. But Fred's going to be very happy. And he said, Fred, as a parting gift, I'm going to give you the keys to the last house you ever built. May you live in it with all the enthusiasm you've shown me all the days of your life. Now, Frankie, the reason why I tell you that is enthusiasm not a Monday thing. It's not a Tuesday thing. It's not a Friday thing. It's something you got to carry to the game every day. And it's the thing that changes the game in your favor by carrying that enthusiasm with you.
1: Worst to live by. Worst to live by. Cause there's days where I, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to do this. I feel like, you know, I might not be getting where I need to be, but at the end of the day, I keep going because this is a passion. This is something I really want to do. Um, and I get to speak to people like you, which is incredible um, because in all reality, you don't have to have a conversation with me. You're, you know, you're at that point in your life where if you wanted to, you could speak to celebrities every day. It's, I mean, it's true because of the career you're had and the type of people that you've been around. So I appreciate the opportunity of you giving me an opportunity to sit down and have a good conversation with you so I can pass it on to my audience. Uh, and I thank you for that. So for my audience, where can people find you? Where can they find your book? Where can they find your podcast, your show?
0: All on my website dr www.drallenlycka.com
1: So, Doc, I appreciate you coming on the show. Uh, it's been a great conversation. I'll love to bring you back at some point again because uh, you just have so much information to give. We can hit on another subject. Uh, so before I jump off, I'd like to leave everybody with what I always do. No matter what anybody tells you and no matter what anybody says, if you found your purpose, live it. Thank you, folks. We'll talk to you later.